look at our passage here in John 14, and I'm going to be taking you to another passage in John, which will further expand what we're dealing with this evening. Thank you. I like the testimony of that song that we just heard. John 14, and especially, look in verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, look at how this comes about. Verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so God was glorified in the Lord Jesus Christ and then very much desires to be glorified in our lives as the Lord lives through us and in us as we obey God. What it means to have the Lord living in us is first we've believed on Him, received Him as our Savior. And then it means that we've got a life committed to obedience to the Bible. As we learn the Bible and we keep learning it, and it's not a book you'll ever master. It is a book that the more you're in, the more it should master you, actually. It becomes part of your thinking. Becomes, it can, it, uh, it's what directs your thinking. Not only what your specific thoughts are about at times, but also the formulation of your thoughts and how you reach conclusions. And uh, as that happens, then... As Christ is working in us and through us and doing these things, and as prayers answered, the Father is glorified in the Son because the Son is in us, and that shows through with Him. Look back in John chapter one, another very strong passage that you'll be very familiar with, and particularly verse fourteen, when it talks about Christ coming as the Word, in John chapter fourteen. I keep that right. I'm going to flip things right there if I'm not careful. In John chapter 14, we ask whatever we will, and then the Father is glorified in the Son. So as Jesus lived here as a man, God was glorified in Him. As He lives through us in our living, the Father is supposed to be glorified in Him. Look in verse 14. Here is the nature of that glory. It says, And the Word, which was Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. So there God's glorified in Him. Then look at what that consists of, what that's like. Full of two things, church. What are they? Grace and truth. And so it identifies what that glory is like. I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of may His glory fill us. May His glory fill us. It's amazing. I just finished an audio book and I, I'm, I enjoy that. Uh, there's sometimes I don't get to listen to them because I'm, I'm using the, I use my uh, uh, Bluetooth capabilities to send a lot of text. I apologize to anybody who's gotten a weird one because I'm doing it that way. Um, the, uh, uh, I talk and uh, follow up on phone calls and that sort of thing as going down the road. So that's handy. It kind of multiplies my time, my effectiveness. 
But uh, I enjoy listening to audiobooks, so I'm always reading a couple, three different books and listening to audiobooks at the same time, different ones. And I just finished one uh, about the B-24 bomber pilots in World War II, and it was quite a tremendous book. And uh, I was reading that, and as the author was writing, he was talking about how many young men went into battle, that sort of thing, and they were seeking for glory. That really is a motivator for people. They want glory. They want somehow to achieve glory in their life, to be known, to accomplish something. I think sometimes it's a deeper motivation than just what it seems on the surface. I think it's a desire to be part of something bigger than themselves, be part of something that's worthwhile uh, with their life. And that's, that's not all a bad thing. It's according to what that's directed towards. But it is uh, this thing of glory. Uh, it's wonderful when a person gets the idea of, of actually having God's glory fill us. And if we're going to understand this, we have to understand what His glory is. We understand that the Father is glorified in the Son, as it said in John 14, and that can be glorified through our life. And then we find in John 1 and verse 14, that's why it can be confusing to me. Uh, they, <laughs> we have two texts like that together. But John 1 and then verse 14, when you go into that, it says that we beheld His uh, glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And then it tells what that's like. Full of grace and truth. So if God's glory is going to be dwelling in us, and it's going to be a glory that is full of grace and truth. Give you quick thoughts on this. And I won't be lengthy tonight because it's been a lengthy week. And uh, I'll not trespass upon your patience tonight with that. And I uh, also don't think it'll do any good if you, if you can't uh, stay focused through it. You're doing well now. But um, let me show you an assurance and, and I'll bring this all together here for you in a moment. Look at 1 John. I, think I don't have a lot of chance to be confused tonight so bear with me. 1 John chapter 3. And it's not surprising that John and first, second, third John and such, 1 John 3, would contain so much of this information on God's glory in us because it's said in the Bible book of John was written, these things I've written unto you that you might believe. It's, uh, it is express purpose to reinforce our belief in the book of John and all the, all the things which he wrote. 1 John chapter 3, look in verse 2. You have to understand this first of all. Well, let's begin in verse 1. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Look at just a couple of parts of this. When you understand that it says the Father's love's bestowed upon us that we would be called the sons of God, that's talking about the deep love that would cause the act of adoption to take place. Adoption's a good Bible word. And God loved us with the kind of depth of love that wanted us to bear his name. And He wanted us to be His. And though we were children of wrath, we were born that way, He said, I want to adopt you. I want to bring you into my family. Make something different with you. There's a lady. Her name's Diane. And uh, she used to frequently eat over at Scramblers. And her, her dad, John, uh, lived to be just over 100. He was a veteran, and they would be there all the time. Some of you may have encountered him. John was uh, uh, there with her, and she took good care of him all the time. You could tell. 
uh, I found out the story and the account of their, their relationship later uh, after knowing them both a while and having talked to them on different occasions. And she said, you know, she, she said, he's my adopted dad. And so I was curious when she had, ado- had adopted him, but actually it went the other way around. And she told me a story I'm not going to detail of, but basically she was, had no life and no hope. And she said, they took me in and made me their own. Gave me a life and training. And here she is, older than I am, and here he is, that time in his 90s, and she said, I don't mind whatever it takes to take care of him. Because she said they were there, and it's because of them that I had life that I've had. I think that's a, that's a tremendous thing, precious thing. It's how we ought to be towards our Heavenly Father. And so it says that's, that's in here in, in verse 1 of 1 John 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. And they don't understand God. And they don't understand the Father. The children won't make any sense to Him. It's not always a hostility. Sometimes that will show up because of what you believe. Hopefully it's never because of your manner or my manner and it would be just because of what we believe. But sometimes it's not even hostility. It's just not understanding. Don't know where you're coming from. Don't understand the thing. And um, that's, that's always been there. But then look in verse 2, going to this thing about may His glory be in us. He said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Not later on, but right now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we, when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And then it goes on with the great promise that when we have that hope within ourselves, we purify ourselves. We don't have to wait for somebody to make a rule for us or uh, put down a boundary or standard for us. When we get a hold of that truth, we want to be pure because He's pure. We want to live in a way that's pleasing to God, not a way that depicts the, the, the brokenness and, and degeneration of our world. And so what happens is we, we have the assurance that one day we shall be like Him because we're going to get to see Him as He is. That's pointing to the future. Now, what does that happen? Why, when we see Him, do we become like Him? It's because of what's in us. It's the fact that He's already inside of us. You're saved. Christ is in you. He's just wanting to be manifested in you. (laughs) That's why Christian life is more a life of far more life of yielding than it is of striving. We're supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. We're to take a stand. We're to fight for things that are right. But we, we, don't, we don't go forward by striving in the, in, the for, in the sense of forcing something. What we have to learn to do is yield to what God wants us to be. Because we're saved, He dwells in us. I'll show you the Scripture on that. He abides in us already. Look in Colossians chapter 1. <laughs> that one's not as easy to get confused on. Not John 14, then John 1, 14, and then John 1, or verse 3. Um, look in Colossians. Stay with me through this first part here. It's vitally important, but it'd be easy to miss. Colossians 1. 
I hope I've laid it out in a way that will be easy to follow for the understanding of the truth. John 1, verse, or John 1, told you. Oddly, in this case, John is spelled C O L O S S. Colossians 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of what? It's not only your hope of one day being in glory, your assurance that you have of that, but it's also God's hope in you of what you can be. May His glory fill us. We want God's glory to fill us. That glory has a manifestation. There are two elements of it. We saw that in John chapter 1. And those two elements, it says, we beheld His glories of the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And it's talking how Jesus was, full of, what is it again? Grace, Grace and what? Grace. Now talk to me. Don't, don't fade out on me here. He, 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 full of what two things? Grace and truth. Okay. And so these are the two things. Now let me help you with this. There are two elements involved in God's glory if it's going to fill us. Those elements, as they were manifested in Christ, are grace and truth. Put this statement down with each. Grace extends to us the opportunity of being right. Not that we win an argument at some point. That, not that kind of right. But we can be right with God. We can be in a correct standing before Him. And we can be right with other people. Grace allows that. Um, at the service on yesterday, I asked the people to extend each other grace. I usually do that in some form or another. When I'm preaching a funeral service, why? Because people need uh, grace to deal with each other at highly emotional times. Because people respond so differently and they need to, need to extend to each other grace. Um, I thought it was fabulous the way things worked during vacation Bible school. But during Bible school and then during our conference time, it's always in my heart for you as your pastor that you will extend to each other charity and grace. By the end of those things, we're tired. By the end of those things, we're all trying to get whatever it is we're trying to get done. And we can get annoyed with one another even though we're trying to accomplish the same thing and go the same direction. <laughs> uh, when you're trying to set up a table and someone's trying to sweep in the same area, it can turn ugly. All right? And so grace extends us the opportunity of being right. Being right with one another, being right with God. Truth gives us the specific details on how to get and to stay right. We need both. We don't need just grace. One of the great failings in what would generally be labeled as Christendom, although I don't like that general label so much, is that there's such an emphasis on grace, it's, it's the uh, theological fad of the day. And I've seen a lot of them come and go in the decades I've been doing this. And the theological fad of the day is all the speech is nothing but about grace and truth is left sitting on the curb. There's a message of God's grace and there's no message of repentance. 
And that's completely contrary, foreign to the Word of God because those, both those elements are always in there. In fact, without both, you can never really have any forward, forward going. You can never really have any uh, change of life. And so, grace is needed. And truth is needed. It gives us specific details on how to stay and get right. Um, Jesus used His glory to bless and benefit us. Think about that. He, he asked at one point, He's praying, Now, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with Thee before the world was. He came from glory. And yet, He used His glory to bless and benefit us. I, I was reading, as you were, and we've read about the woman who had the issue of blood and she was, she was so ill and had been for so long, went to so many different doctors. You've read about that, haven't you? And too many of us, have, or you have, I've not really been through the experience other than with people I care about, um, went to doctor after doctor and were nothing better but the worse. And you've done that. Some of you have specialists for this and that. And uh, this one, and, and you go with the new hope, maybe this will fix it. And maybe they'll have an answer. And uh, he said, I think I'm worse than when I started. And poorer too, amen? Goes with it. <clears throat> and, uh, and so uh, that's what she was like. And then she, remember that? She had to get through the crowd. And she got a hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. When she did, immediately, just immediately, this 12-year problem was taken care of by the Lord. And it was so funny. He said to his disciples, he turned around, and the word that's used in the Bible, as you read it, they were thronging him. You know what that means, don't you? That means there was such a crowd pressing in on him, he could barely get through. You have the kind of thing where his disciples are probably having to push people aside to get him to go from point A to point B. And... Jesus stops and looks around and He said, Who touched me? One of the disciples, I think, asked an intelligent question. They looked around at this crowd and they're like, Who touched me? And they said, Master, you see the crowd that's strong in you and you ask, Who touched me? And yet, He said, You perceived that virtue had gone out of Him. What happened was, his glory had been touched. And Jesus used his glory to bless and to help us. The message tonight is, may his glory fill us. There's That root of pride will cause people to seek attention. But that's not God's glory filling us. That root of pride will cause people to seek notoriety, position. Just want to be remembered in the minds of people. <laughs> that does not match the Scripture. His glory is a glory that's full of grace and truth. Jesus used His glory to bless us, benefit us. If His glory is in us, then that same glory will extend out to others, to others from us. Let me show you how that works. Ready? So if God's glory is in us, if His glory is in us, how does that glory come out towards other people? How do we glorify the Lord in that action? Number one, we will deal with others with both grace and truth. Uh, 
according to a person's personality. It's part of the factor. What their exposure has been in their background as far as life goes. Not just things that have to do with church or the Bible, but just their general life background as well. And then, what their religious, if they do have a religious background, what that's been like. They may have a tendency more towards one or the other. Many, many followers of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about people who actually love the Lord and they're really interested in doing something right for the Lord, are very out of balance one direction or another. Some people, it's just truth. They're the blessed God people. Well, bless God, that's just the way it is. <laughs> well, bless God, that's it. Yeah, wonderful. And usually what that is, there's an insecurity that they have a lot of trouble of trusting God in a very untidy world. And the only way they can feel security is if they can make all the world around them tidy and the way they think it should be straight. God would really love for your comprehension of Him to come up above that. And so... That's an extreme. Well, you sit this way. My way or the highway. All right. You want it that way? Please take the highway. That's not what they mean, but that's how you should respond. The, well, you know, this is just going to be this way. Hmm. I believe we can do better than that. Other folks, they are on the side of grace. They said Jesus, they must love God. <laughs> I'm sure they meant well. <laughs> Someone purposefully is trying to hurt somebody. Well, I don't think they meant it. Yeah, they did. They just can't quite comprehend. Some people are just mean and nasty. Say, well, I like to have a better view of people. Well, if you get a clearer view, you'll find out they're really mean and nasty. Well, I think deep down they're a nice person. No, deep down they're just mean and nasty. That's why they need the Lord. You're enjoying this, aren't you? There's a man who makes his living off mean and nasty. Hopefully trying to control it, not doing it. You can tell. That's a knowing chuckle uh, that builds into a laugh. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, they mean well. No, they don't. They're trying to hurt you. They're trying to hurt somebody you love. You better wake up, all right? You know, it's like this uh, annoying... It was, it was a theological fad, and, and it's lost its traction now. But man, this thing, I kept hearing it over and over. I saw it in publications and stuff. Well, Judas didn't really mean to betray Jesus. He thought because Jesus was so good at talking, he would get himself out of the situation and he would make money on it and everything would be okay. And I'm like, your brain has to be so warped theologically to come up with that kind of mamby-pamby nonsense for doctrine. What kind of theological wuss are you? That's not what it says. Have I not chosen you and one of you is a devil, but a pretty good guy? No. <laughs> Satan filled Judas and he went out and betrayed Christ? 
You got two people in the Bible that Satan himself enters into. One's Judas, another one's Antichrist. That's it. Well, he, he didn't really mean to. <laughs> yes, he did. Hence the term, it was better for him that he was never born. Yeah, there are just some things that are real clues. <laughs> so some people really go overboard in grace. It's like, well, I don't, and they refuse to see the truth. Other folks can't extend grace. Tell you what. <laughs> they, hmm, I could go on for a while, and I think we see what, what's going on with that. When we deal with others, we need to do so with grace and truth. In order to do that, we've got to be being yielded. I'm using that phrase on purpose. We need to be being yielded to our Savior so He can be more well represented in us. And when I'm talking about being yielded to our Savior, I'm talking about some specific things, not just some vague idea of you feel good about it. I'm talking about learning truth and being willing to live it and apply it. About um, deciding that trust that God can actually handle the job of being judged without us being his assistant. <laughs> to realize there is a living God that will call things into account. And it really ought to sober us up because while we're waiting for him to nail the particular group that we don't like, um, maybe we ought to take a little time to just be really grateful that he hasn't Nailed us for ourselves. The grace we extend will allow the truth to take hold. Um, when we realize that extending grace allows truth to take root, we will see the power of it and what God can do. Jesus was full of both Truth, grace and truth. He was not in the possession of one to the detriment of the other. I've, I've dealt with that already. God help us to see Him in the Scripture and be like Him. When you're reading, we're going through the book of Luke right now in our readings. Slow down and really take a look at who Jesus is. Don't just read it and be done with it. Look at what's telling you about Him. Learn to value your Bible as God's revelation to show you who He is. God's wanting to show Himself to you. I think if I'm not mistaken, hon, you have, uh, uh, you, you have love letters for me when we were teenagers. Isn't that right? Do you keep all those rascals pretty much? Yeah, that's what I thought. Huh, that's pretty amazing. I have to look at those sometimes to see how mushy I was. Do you ever reread them more than once? Yeah. Huh. I said that's very, very good to why? Because they, they told her something something about the fellow that loved her. And uh, of course, part of the time I was in college in Houston, she was still finishing high school. So we were a long way away. By the way, it was a really weird world back then. <laughs> you didn't have things called cell phones. There wasn't something called the internet. <laughs> I 
know some of you right now are doing this thinking about oh, um, if we got to talk, it was very briefly one time a week. Because I lived in something that is as near to purgatory <laughs> as a Baptist could ever believe in, and it's called a college dorm. Uh -huh. Amen. If I want to give a witness right there, right? Amen. Uh, and, and there was a pay phone. You know what that is? It's a phone, and you dialed it. We were getting modern then. You had some pushback uh -huh. <laughs> on the pay phones. The old rotary phones we had. But we had the pushback. And it was on a wall where people could go and use it. It was called a pay phone because you had to put money into it. <laughs> we didn't have, us young people didn't have these little plastic cards you used for stuff. And you couldn't use them on most stuff anyway. I remember when the drive-thru restaurant was almost unheard of. I remember when they started showing up. I am so old. <laughs> but we had these things called pay phones. And you had to wait in line if you wanted to use it unless you were bigger than the other people. <laughs> and we would call and get to talk for a little while and then you'd run out of time and quit done. And we wrote letters to each other and knew how to write letters and knew how to communicate. Had both grammar, punctuation. It was a very strange time. But those were precious to my wife because they were an expression of love. And I sought for them to be an expression of myself to her. Look up at your preacher for a minute. You have a love letter. 66 of them, actually. It's a love letter. And God is wanting to show you who He is. When you come to this book that way, you won't get sidetracked over names you can't pronounce. And as was recently said to some folks in, by way of advice, I loved it. You're the only one they're reading. Just call them what you want. <laughs> I don't even know if you're pronouncing them right. You don't. Neither does anybody else except Alexander Scorby. So just give it. <laughs> but when you start seeing him for who he is, and that doesn't have to wait completely until he reveals himself we can do that through the book we start to become like him may God help us with it may his glory fill us so that we like him can help others with that glory that's there look quickly at Ephesians chapter 4 I don't think I can last in the preaching much longer now that I realize how old I really am. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. We will begin in verse 11. 
And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What's the purpose of giving these? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long and what, what's the end, end result supposed to be? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. That means a pastor and a teacher and such should always be wanting to bring everybody along and not be satisfied by leaving folks out. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the stature, unto the measure, excuse me, of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth, look at this all important statement, in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So the body, and you understand what he's talking about here, the believers, you are supposed to edify one another and you do that by speaking the truth in love. In other words, grace and truth are both there. We speak the truth in love and the, and the truth spoken in love has a edifying or building effect. Two observations on that. Number one, love is not barbaric. In other words, you don't go at it with no regard for how it affects somebody. Truth needs to be spoken. We need to be plain spoken. I understand there's an overly sensitive, coddling, nonsense mindset and spirit in our day and time of people who are, uh, their little feelings are hurt by everything. And honest to goodness, the best thing they can do in life is get over themselves. Now, that's the truth. But there's also barbaric almost sometimes a reaction to that nonsense. There's a barbaric approach. I don't care how it makes somebody feel when that's not right either. The purpose is never just to get our point across. That's prideful. The purpose is to do good with what we're doing. Speaking the truth in love. Love's not barbaric. Love's committed to truth. What does that mean? It means it won't sidestep what is true. Sometimes you have to tell people and talk to people and hopefully you're doing it in a way which conveys God's grace. We have to talk to people about things they don't want to hear and we have to deal with things that aren't wanting to be dealt with and we have to confront some things in life. It's not always comfortable, but by God's grace and with His grace, it can be done the right way. We're going to have to be seeking the Lord. We're going to have to help, have God's help to do it. Look how these two things interact. Look in Ephesians uh, 4 again. I so moved my Bible from there. If you're still there in Ephesians 4, then you'll be ahead of me to it. But Ephesians 4, shut mine, which I should not have. The, uh, not only are we speaking the truth in love, which we just read about, but go down. There we go. Ephesians 4, and look. In verse 29, let no corrupt communication. Corrupt communication could be, could be 
communication that is lacking in love or lacking in truth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, good for what? Good to the use of edifying. Why? That it may minister grace unto the hearers. Isn't it interesting? The next warning there is not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It is grievous to the Holy Spirit living in you. When you go about things in a way different than Jesus goes about them. If we're going to have His glory in us, that glory is going to be full of grace and truth. There's going to be a biblical fullness of both. You say, well, it's a balance. I'm not opposed to that word, but it almost indicates you're over here, then you're over here. No, it's a biblical fullness of both. They, they, they are interdependent. It isn't one or the other. We've got this. Tuesday's my grace day. Wednesday's my truth day. Thursday's my grace day. Friday's my truth day. You want to decide which day you want to catch me on, right? No. It is the idea it's supposed to be there all the time. Both. Both of them. By the way, that's why in the book of James we're taught to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Because the wrath of God worketh not, or the wrath of man, excuse me, worketh not the righteousness of God. God's not glorified when we don't approach things properly. In fact, a lack of grace can cause truth not to be received. And a lack of truth can cause grace not to be effective for somebody's life to go forward. Because there's no framework for it. When we speak the truth and minister grace, it allows us to come in the unity of the faith into a perfect man, which is said in verse 13 of Ephesians 4. How, how do we become perfected? How do we come to that full maturity, that full, that full existence of everything we ought to have? We grow to that by having the elements that God wants us to have. Grace and truth. Now you, you and I each, we will have a tendency more towards one than the other. We'll have a natural leaning towards one or the other. And like all things that can be out of balance and therefore harmful, God in His perfecting of us as saved people and the Lord living in us wants to bring us to a point of being complete in Christ. We become complete in Christ because we are full of grace and truth. So we need to learn how to let that flow through us. And when we do that, what happens is His glory fills us. And then we, like the church at Antioch, could have a community that deals with us, a people that are around us, that like they did at Antioch, they were first called... They did not designate it for themselves. I don't believe they were ashamed of it. But they did not designate it for themselves. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Why? Because there was something about the way they did things. They said, that, that's like that Christ. Jesus the Christ. Full of grace and truth. And the Word was made what? flesh and dwelt among us. So when God manifested Himself to mankind, when God made Himself known to mankind, 
He specifically says he was full of grace and truth. I want mankind to understand me. So here's the elements involved. God wants Himself to be understood by the world still. Christ still wants to be made known. He wants to be made known by us and through us. In order to do that, we've got to be full of grace and full of truth. If you were honestly evaluating, is one or both of those low or almost non-existent in your life? If you were just honestly look at it, and even better than that, if you were to honestly ask the Lord to search you, which is a good thing, it's biblical to do that. Search me, O Lord, and try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. But if you were to be honest with God and say, God, okay, is, is one of these missing? Is truth missing? Is grace missing? Is one of these low and not where it should be? God could show you specifics with your life. If you'd be willing to do that and willing to let Him talk to you about that and show you in Word, what you'll find out is you can grow in that area where you're missing. And then you can be filled and I can be filled with His glory. And when we do that, we can make a lot of difference in a dark world. I promise you that. Let me pray with you tonight. All right, Father, thank You for Your words and Your people being very attentive. Lord, may we be active with what You've given us and very open to what You're teaching us. God, I pray You'll guide Your people in the particulars of what it means for them. Lord, I ask You for Your blessing on those who are serious about Your Word. I ask You to send reproof and warning to those who are being flippant about it. They allow themselves to be distracted and doing other things while the Word itself is being opened. They're disrespectful to You that way. God, I ask You that You'd reprove them. That they may walk right before You. God, I ask You for Your blessing on those who want to learn. May they indeed be able to discern what the next step is for them. Thank You that You deal with us. Lord, I want to know that in my life and I ask you for it. Bless your people tonight. Bless this invitation, please. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We have a song invitation. Would you come? This is a good time to come.